This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Reporters Without Orders. Order, order. Welcome to Reporters Without Orders, a podcast where we discuss what made news, what didn't and some things that absolutely shouldn't have. Today on the panel, we have Ayush Tiwari, News Laundry's Head of Research. Ayush has recently done a two-part ground report from Aligarh. Hi, Ayush. Hello. Welcome back. Thanks a lot. And today we are joined by Aruna Chandrasekhar, an independent journalist and researcher working on issues at the intersection of corporate accountability, indigenous rights, people's movements and conflict for the past seven years. We will also have a special correspondent Pratik Goel joining us. Pratik was with the farmers last week in Maharashtra, walking along as the march began from Mumbai, Naka in Nashik to Bombay. Okay. Uh, hi Aruna, welcome to the podcast. Hi Pravi, thanks for having me. It's lovely having you. But before we come to you, Aruna, there's a big breaking news happening right now, as the media is calling it. It is the alleged attack on terror camps across the LOC. So before we go into the podcast here, I'll just give a brief to our listeners of what we know so far. The spokesperson for Pakistan Armed Forces tweeted earlier today, which is Tuesday, that the Indian Air Force had violated the line of control. The spokesperson's tweet also stated that the aircraft had returned after the Pakistan Air Force responded. Two hours later, Major General Asif Kafur also tweeted that Indian aircrafts intruded from Muzaffarabad sector, facing timely and effective response from Pakistan Air Force. They released payload and haste while escaping, which fell near Balakot. No casualties or damaged. Following these tweets, ANI tweeted uh, using unidentified sources from the Indian Air Force that 12 Mirage 2000 jets took part in the operation that dropped 1000 kg bombs on terror camps across the LOC, completely destroying it. These unidentified officials also told ANI that the op took place at 3.30 in the morning. Minutes after ANI's tweets, Major General Asif Kafur also released some pictures of what he says is payload that the Indian aircraft dropped in haste while escaping. Unidentified officials tell NDTV that the strikes were 100% successful and went exactly as planned. An Indian defense spokesperson told Reuters that he has no information about the attack. Since we are still waiting on an official word, there are so many questions, just some of which are if the attack was well within Pakistan, not POK, how did Pakistan not detect India's presence earlier? India claims high casualty, Pakistan says no casualty. But I think one more important question is what precedence does such cross-border intrusion set? Ayush? Um, well, it's the precedent that we do have of Indian aircraft crossing LOC and that's the important distinction that someone might miss when you just leave it at crossing the LOC. Mm-hmm. Is that they have crossed the LOC, but you can cross the LOC and go into the disputed area of what we call Pakistan-occupied Kashmir or you can go into Pakistan proper, which is where Balakot is uh, located as per the uh, MEA, I think, uh, spokesperson so we've actually gone into the nation state of pakistan and allegedly dropped thousands of kilos of payload that that have killed a lot lot of terrorists but the last last time this actually happened was in 1971 is what i think even during kargil indian air force did not go into pakistan proper so yeah that's the precedent aruna what do you think of what's developing right now um, waiting and watching. I'm uh, actually far uh, more terrified about the uh, Hindu Kush Himalaya assessment in which there's going to be 
glacier melt and uh, the entire subcontinent is going to have to deal with the fallout of that and the conflicts that will arise from water shortages. But um, that's where I stand on Absolutely. I think there was a report earlier about this and I was really surprised that there was not much alarm that the report raised. Uh, right. I think we're, we're good at living, uh, thinking in the short term and in the short term retaliation. Whereas right now with the countries already staring at a massive drought, um, they're looking at temperatures rising across uh, different parts of the country, which will spark off its own kinds of conflicts within our borders that I think um, also need equal amount of attention. Correct. Speaking about big stories, since this story is just developing and the developments will come in through the day and over the week, you can check out our website, newslaundry.com for more updates. But since we have Aruna, let's talk about another big news that developed over the week. Just some context, on February 20th, the Supreme Court of India ordered a time-bound eviction of all those families whose claims under the Forest Rights Act had been rejected by authorities. This order has the potential of impacting 1.89 million tribals and forest-dwelling families. While this was covered by sections of the media, given the number of lives it has the potential to disrupt, I didn't think it was covered enough. So, I mean, let's just get Aruna to tell us the history behind it, the reasons for rejections of these claims made by so many forest dwellers and more. So, Aruna, to get us started, could you tell us a little more about what is the problem? What is at the crux of this issue? And why was this order issued? Um, the problem at the crux uh, of this issue goes back in time. And these are historic um, injustices um, which have been carried out against Adivasi communities um, where they've been typically pushed off their land. Uh, we're looking at a society which, and societies which have fundamentally changed um, after the arrival of uh, private property and land acquisition laws where communities were um, always at the behest of uh, the forest department, of uh, bureaucracy, of large landowners, of upper caste farmers, um, buying up their lands or pushing them further to the margins. And in that particular context was when uh, the Forest Rights Act came into place. It is particularly to correct this historical injustice um, that communities have faced at the um, in the name of well, conservation or in the name of, of um, keeping uh, indigenous communities out of forests. Um, so what does the so Forest the, Right Act actually give to these communities? They give land ownership? So the Forest Rights Act actually recognizes the customary rights of forest dwelling, scheduled tribes and other traditional forest dwellers to land and other resources. Um, so yeah, members of, of these communities, uh, not just Adivasi, can claim individual rights over forest land, like for instance, you've been cultivating a certain forest patch um, for uh, generations and um, recognizing that you have a right to do so. Um, then there is, um, you can also file rights for com common property resources, which could include community or village forests, uh, religious or cultural sites, water bodies, um, and over resources. Um, and then there's a third important um, aspect of it, which is um, the power that it recognizes of Gram Sabhas or village assemblies, um, which have a key role to determine who has the right to forest resources. Um, 
to Gram Sabha's religious assemblies, and this is the part that we might be more familiar with, um, especially in they have a key role to decide in whether forest land can be diverted for industrial or non-forest purposes. Um, and I think that's where people are kind of familiar with the Niamgiri judgment of um, 12 village councils uh, denying uh, Vedanta's plan to mine their sacred mountain. Um, but yeah, the Forest Rights Act, of course, um, and also determines minor forest produce um, and how communities can get access to this. So from whether it is recognizing individual rights or community rights over forests, which um, conservation organizations across the world, um, well, and international uh, human rights and other bodies recognize that um, indigenously uh, conserved forests, uh, forests have a much better uh, chance of survival. And communities have been at the forefront of uh, protecting India's forests from large-scale development projects, um, which could have an impact on India's value ecosystems, its water security, food security, and so on. Aruna, if I might just butt in. Yeah, so uh, the party that filed these petitions in the Supreme Court, it's uh, some NGO called Wildlife First. And I was reading about it and all I could gather is there are some, you know, uh, for retired forest officials. And that right. made me a little uncomfortable because even what I've studied, I mean, it's definitely does not match up to your level of expertise. But I know the main conflict in the forest is between the bureaucracy and the tribal communities. I mean, it's the, the I think the uh, forest rights act in 2006 tried to devolve some of the power from the bureaucracy to the communities but given right. these people are uh, forest officials re- retired officials what's the background of this body that's been filing petitions in the supreme court so you have like uh, one is uh, you have wildlife first there's uh, wti so wildlife trust of india the nature conservation society so far there's only one conservation and wildlife organization that is the nature conservation fund foundation in um, india which has um, which has spoken out against this order um, there are some um, reports that also say that uh, the petitioners from these organizations were also um, serving as forest officers at the point of time that this order was filed, which should be conflict of interest. Um, the background, as you pointed out, is essentially this uh, colonial bureaucracy, which is um, essentially uh, the forest department. And um, uh, I've spent hours and hours in uh, divisional forest officers' uh, um, guest houses or speaking to them or interviewing them to try and understand what their um, idea or knowledge of the Forest Rights Act or PESA is. And it seems um, that extremely old colonial beliefs still persist where um, Adivasis and other traditional forest dwellers are being targeted or blamed for clearing large parts of the forest. Uh, But at the same time, uh, DFOs and others recommend the same patches um, to be diverted towards large industry. I also do find it incredibly problematic and um, I've been speaking to conservationists as well that there is a much larger focus of uh, life organizations on looking at big fauna, focusing on the western ghats than in the eastern ghats where um, there is a massive amount of deforestation uh, and land acquisition and forestation 
forest grabs and grab of indigenous land by uh, mining companies, by power companies, by uh, rail as well as road projects. And um, it's only a handful of organizations that are doing work in these parts despite them having endemic species. Um, so I think it's extremely convenient for um, you know, utility jacket wearing uh, conservationists um, to deem that um, Adivasis are responsible for um, for the uh, deforestation um, and the extremely large loss of forest cover in the country. When you just have to look at the diversion figures uh, to get a sense of um, who's eating up large chunks of uh, our ecology at this point. Aruna, you pointed out one criticism that has been sort of leveled against the tribals and Adivasis. Uh, there's another criticism that these tribals, Adivasis and forest dwellers uh, are on illegal land. So it is argue, it is being argued that it is okay to evict them. It is okay to take the land back from them because the land doesn't technically belong to them. So what are, what is your comment on that? The government is supposed to be a custodian of public land, of forest land. Um, the idea that they are illegal occupants or illegal uh, encroachers is part of language that is still extremely entrenched in our bureaucracy, um, that uh, we are not recognizing uh, the fact that communities have lived here, resided here, and also contributed to the conservation of um, these particular forests. Correct. So another question is that the campaign which, I mean, makes this position as colonial attitudes versus traditional rights over land by tribals, I mean, I find it hard to believe that somehow the Supreme Court is not familiar with this position, that the Supreme Court does not know, or the people in the Supreme Court are not aware that the history of the contest between tribal land and tribal resources in these forests is actually has colonial roots. So why does the Supreme Court, which is, you know, this great uh, institution of, you know, issuing out justice, seemingly taking position that's affecting so many tribal groups, so many tribal communities at a large scale. I think it wasn't because the Supreme Court doesn't know. It was because those representing the tribal rights failed to appear in the court to present their side of the argument. Why did they fail? Aruna, uh, could you tell us a little yeah. bit more about what actually happened in the court? Why did the representatives fail to make a case for the tribals? Um, okay, I think one of the facts that needs to be considered is that the petitioners uh, did not ask for the eviction of forest dwellers in the first place. Um, it is something that the court um, has brought out in its order, which flies in the face of its remarkable 2013 uh, judgment in the case of uh, Niyamgiri, where it had asked that uh, village assemblies exercise the Forest Rights Act and determine whether they wanted their forests diverted or not. This is an immense rollback that we have seen from the Supreme Court's position at that particular point of time. Why didn't the government um, appear in court? Um, I'm not really sure, but I do think that it's, um, it is consistent with this government's position since 2013, which has um, attempted to restrict the powers of the Forest Rights Act, for instance, it says, um, so it removes the requirement of consent for a large number of 
projects as well as operations such as for instance mineral prospecting it now allows um people who are diverting forests and industrial bodies to be able to get a stage one clearance start their operations and then secure adivasi consent um it has told the world bank that it is not comfortable with the idea of consent of uh, adivasis when it comes to uh, projects that affect them um i do see this as uh, consistent in terms of the government's position but the supreme court that came as a shocker and the ministry of tribal affairs has been silent as of now which is um, even though uh, amit shah has issued a statement yesterday speaking to the fact that yes now bjp rule states and chief ministers will also oppose the eviction little has been said about the central government itself and why the minister of tribal affairs um, hasn't stepped up to this why the pmo hasn't or um, or why they didn't show up in court correct uh, aruna i just wanted to ask what was the reason behind rejecting so many applications like such a large number of applications and is there any merit to the grounds on which they have been rejected so typically um, let's say and we're not even kind of covering uh, how much um, how many uh, indigenous districts um has seen extremely poor implementation where people still haven't heard of the act um we're talking 13 years later or being aware of the fact that they can file claims over community land within the subset that we're we're seeing um in terms of rejections a um who is it is generally an ngo body that helps locals file their claims um there is very little assistance from the government in terms of uh, sometimes it does conduct drives to ensure the forms and so on are filled um but at the same time gram sabha is important for the verification but then again um this is put on the plate of um the sick level committees which again include the same bureaucracy that holds these kinds of mindsets when it comes to uh adivasis or when they're contrasted with uh, big development priorities or otherwise um i've seen so many cases where i mean um holding copies of uh, consent are uh, given by gram sabhas um and showing this to communities asking them is this your signature um and they're shocked and they can't uh, imagine that this is has and uh, so i think one of the key things to kind of consider is the fact that um this is an act that's operating in in uh, districts where there's extremely uh, Uh, low literacy where people have very poor access to justice um there isn't enough awareness in terms of um how rights can be filed and where um the same old bureaucracy still um determines parts of rejections for instance i've seen uh, rejections of community claims over sacred groves um in places where large mining projects are coming up where and in place where uh, a community is applied for over uh, 200 hectares of forest land and that's been rejected um so i mean in part uh, there can be reasons or there can be issues in terms of rejection but that's something that again needs to be verified okay. um so i mean giving the power to the government to decide on the application when there could be a lot of benefits that would be there by rejecting applications puts the deciding body in a very tricky position but i also wanted to ask you what uh, what are your thoughts on media's coverage of this issue given that the scale of rejection was so huge did you think there was sufficient coverage and what is the politics at play like you already addressed that this land which is very rich with resources is at stake 
I do think that the media's coverage and um, hats off to Nitin Sethi at the Business Standard who has been covering these dilutions and uh, from day one as well as other environment reporters who have been um, on the ball um, in terms of also trying to Chitrangula uh, Chaudhary had uh, written a piece on Hasde Orand and those forests and connecting what those impacts would mean on ground. Um, I think coverage has been uh, pretty uh, widespread. But the, my question again arises um, in terms of it takes something um, as big as this. Um, I do think that the reporting on, and it's something that uh, has also been um, pointed out, which is the fact that it was a court order. This shouldn't necessarily have um, gone unnoticed by uh, large sections of the media. Um, and again, it, it, it took that break to get uh, people to kind of catch up with it. Uh, I do think that there has been uh, a lack of stories coming from these regions, examining um, the issues that um, are involved with looking at large-scale uh, rejections um, of looking at claims by communities which have not been accepted. Um, and yeah, for me, it's that, um, it's, it's that phenomenon of being, um, of being a parachute journalist, going into places uh, with documents uh, and um, meeting communities uh, and um, being told that one is either the first to go there or and the first to return on occasion. There is uh, more than enough ground to cover um, in uh, different parts of the um, other indigenous districts, which uh, definitely um, could use and can also um, point to large-scale instances of corruption, of, of, of consent being forged, of land being physically acquired. And more importantly, I think the issue of the fact that um, forced evictions of Adivasi communities, of other forest dwellers, and police firings against them have been um, on the rise in the last four years. Um, as much as Amit Shah might um, direct his uh, chief ministers at this point, um, we have seen widespread evictions in Chhattisgarh under Raman Singh. We have seen police firings in Jharkhand, in Jain Sinha's constituency, in Hazaribagh, um, where people protesting for their forest rights against an NTPC mine where their signatures had um, were, were shot dead. Um, and four of them, uh, three of them being minors, um, didn't get enough play, seems to be relegated to short-term memory, um, and this is an issue that uh, seems to crop up and now the assurance is being given around polls. Um, I mean, with more and, and more bureaus yeah. being shut down, we'll see more of this parachute reporting rather than people spending some time on the ground. But uh, given the shortage of time, I think, Ayush, I want to bring you in here. What do you think has been underreported by the media and what do you think was overplayed over the last week? Well, what has been underreported is something I found unsurprising uh, is the whole conflict, rather heated situation going on in Arunachal Pradesh since the last three, four days. And What's been happening in Arunachal Pradesh? Well, the backstory is that there are certain communities, tribal communities, which even though are indigenous to Assam and have traditionally lived in Assam, some of them have over the years moved to Arunachal Pradesh. And when the Congress and the BJP were fighting elections in the state, 
this issue comes up and they always take a position saying these communities which come from assam will be given permanent resident certificates which is the prcs now the indigenous people of indigenous tribes of uh, arunachal pradesh which are called uh, apst that is arunachal pradesh scheduled tribes they have opposed this tooth and nail they don't want these communities to be given these certificates because with these certificates come the benefits of you know jobs in education you get reservations so they oppose this but uh, finally there was a high powered committee set up last year which recommended that these people should be given permanent resident certificates now that was put into motion last week and therefore the people which belong from the indigenous communities of arunachal protested and it got so charged that the i think the student union of all all arunachal pradesh student union their offices were burnt the deputy cm his offices were burnt i think army took out a flag march after all all these things transpired army took out a flag march flag march yes to that's unheard of yeah because there's a curfew i mean it's a more of most of a rhetorical and symbolic act to make sure that yeah we are here we are on ground no, nothing no bullshit going under our nose yet i don't remember like seeing this making a lot of news well that's why i said it's unsurprising first of all it's the northeast and we all know i mean so the kind of coverage so you're saying the northeast northeast doesn't deserve coverage no it does not get coverage i would never say northeast does not deserve coverage cherry don't be facetious but uh, i think the the fault line that lies in arunachal pradesh and assam regarding these issue which flare up these issues is the same fault line which affect india uh, which are a sort of a claim on state resources which these communities uh, again fault lines into which they fall but yes they are not reported as well and i think to their credit indian express and hindustan times did two nice explainers putting together but for anyone who's more curious to know what's actually happening i think arunachal pradesh the local press is always the best yeah. resource so arunachal times they can go to their website and I read up about what's arunachal happening arunachal times has been struggling to put out their print and online paper because of internet shutdown because right. of the protest that has been happening right. so i think it is i agree with you i think the northeast deserves much more coverage than it is getting and it's with the number of bureaus being shut down i think it'll just get more and more difficult to get coverage where the offices of these papers are not there talking about express and hindustan times they have correspondence in the right. northeast right. which is what gives them an upper hand in coverage of the northeast aruna uh, just want to bring you in here do you want to comment on what's happening on arunachal pradesh i think it's extremely disturbing at this point and there isn't enough focus i agree with um, all the points that that were just made at this point so, yeah i'm sh- not the best person to comment <laughs> okay uh, coming back to you ayush you were on the ground for two days right and this was the first time you went on the ground how was the experience well was, um, i really liked it i mean i've actually because it's the first time it was probably the best time i think i had ever oh, you going got to out eat a lot ground. of pakoras and samosas you know aligarh is really really bad when it comes to food i hope none of the people in aligarh subscribe to news laundry but it's just a actually wider western up problem there are no pakoras there are a lot of kebabs though but and you don't like kebabs what are you talking aligarh, about not in aligarh <laughs> what is this anti aligarh feeling i'm listening this, to this, these eastern up people have a lot of problems with western up people so i'm from the east so the purvanchali complex you got to get over that but tell us more about your report what happened on the ground there was so much controversy bikes were burnt yeah 
I think there were two separate incidents. There were two separate incidents. Which Could you briefly tell us what really happened? Sure. So the first incident is the whole issue surrounding the Republic TV journalist Nalini Sharma, who was at uh, AMU to cover this. So AMU had an the student union at AMU had organized this meeting of smaller Muslim political parties as a sort of a coalition and a front to you know advocate Muslim interests in the run up to the elections, and OVC was scheduled to come. Now, of course, there's OVC, there's a big name. So Republic was there reporting from the ground. And however, they went to the university without permission. Now, while they were recording in the university, officials came, told them, go out. Sorry, but Republic did say they did get permission. They did say they didn't have it in writing. So okay. my story, the first story carries this narrative statement that they don't have permission. But when they were asked by the security officials to stop, things got out of hand if you have seen the videos it's on youtube uh, twitter everywhere and she called students terrorists now when i did my first story that is from the office here in delhi hmm. we couldn't find any eyewitness who could claim that they heard personally nalini use the word terrorist for the Except students for one student yeah who's who's the guy who brought it all out through his facebook posts hmm. but when I went to the ground, that and that is the focus of my first part of my story, I found three witnesses. So there's one uh, PhD scholar in the university who's just coming out of uh, the arts department where the whole situation took place. There's some intelligence officers who can be seen in the pictures escorting out the Republic journalist who mm. wish to remain anonymous. And there were some local journalists who all three parties personally heard Nalini use the word terrorists, although they disagree the way it was used. It was okay. definitely used towards the students, but they say it was used here, not here, not here. So there is some disagreements. But that is a smaller issue, I thought. Mm. The larger issue was the sedition charges that were filed on the students What on, regarding what after what happened later in the day, which is, again, to oppose OVC's entry on the university. And by the way, OVC was invited, but he declined the invitation by the student union. He declined the invitation, but why were they protesting against his entry into AMU? Because they don't like him. And people who... And by the way, they are the youth wing of the Bharatiya Janta Party, which is the Bharatiya Janta Yuva Mocha. So they don't like him. They consider him to be a, you know, communal leader who spits bile everywhere he goes. Mm. So they oppose him. So what they stage the dharna outside the college gates, which is this place called the University Circle. When they realize he's not coming local reporter told me then they just changed the topic saying he you know one of our one of the hindu students has been beaten up by muslim students in the university hostels did that actually take place uh, it actually took place but i don't think it took place at that right exact moment yeah. so the suspension order which came from the university which suspension orders were fl- uh, carried out because of this altercation, they said it took place on the 9th. I read the suspension order. Which is how many days before? Three days before. This events I'm describing happened on the 12th of February, sedition charges, which is exactly three years and three days after JNU. So, yeah, so they brought, they said ki some of our, uh, some Hindu student, a friend of ours got beaten up inside the university. And then they went, took their dharna from the university circle to outside the administrative block of the university. Now here with the, f- bad things start happening when the AMU student union finds out that they are sitting on dharnas and these are all Hindu students Hmm. I mean I hate to say it bring it out bad but as the conflict unfolded there's a Hindu and a Muslim camp at AMU right now Okay. and these are Hindu students who are protesting outside the administrative block AMU SU Muslim students came to them said why are you doing this 
in this an argument breaks out the police comes takes away this guy called ajay singh thakur who is the son of the local bjp mla to where the police is stationed they are stationed outside because they know that ovc is coming something might happen in this time ajay can be seen there's a video of him calling out to these student union leaders saying tumme himmat hai to aao ladu and there's abuse flying all around and mob of at least 200 students run towards these bjps Kids. That must be intimidating. You should see the video. It's very intimidating. And also in the video, there's someone carrying a gun. Yes, so there's a picture of someone carrying a gun, and that guy is from the Bharatiya Janata Yuva Morcha, which is BJP's wing. And of course, there's a huge scuffle take place. These Hindu students are beaten up badly, and they run away in a Scorpio. So, and there's a firing, four rounds of firing. So there's one bullet hole in the Scorpio. Okay, in, so just some clarification scene. here. Right. The mob was of. Muslim students. Right. The Hindu guys were running in a Scorpio, hmm. but the gun was in the hand of a BJP worker. BJP worker right. who was also part of the mob. Yes, he's not part of the mob. He's part of the students who are protesting it. So what ha- I think happens is the students, the Hindu students of AMU are protesting. So the students who are protesting are, by the way, are Hindu st- Hindus, but they're students of the AMU. Okay. And when the trouble breaks out, this. the youth wing of the bjp just happens to be there and when i met the youth wing members they said we were just passing by now i don't believe that they weren't just passing by they were there because they probably were alerted by others that there's something that's going to happen here mm. and this is a guy who comes by who's just passing by who has a gun and he's running behind the car when the whole mob is chasing them and they are fleeing away from the scene i mean i want to come to the bigger question of sedition why slap sedition against students i mean i find this so problematic on so many levels right i mean look when i talked to the sho in whose uh, police station they filed the sedition charges he said whenever you come to us with a complaint the point of an fir is you make the complaint and we register it they didn't make any arrests in that sedition charge case they said we were told that these things have happened we have videos of amu students charging and we just filed this case so there are robbery murder rioting all these charges besides the sedition charges but i asked him as you say ki sedition is very serious i mean you have to actually sh- be saying that they were plotting to bring down the indian state while they were running and mobbing i mean that's hard to prove they said there was pakistan zindabad bharat murdabad slogans there is no evidence of these slogans no eyewitnesses claims to have heard or seen people make these slogans aruna given that you've been in the industry for about 7 years and there have been so many sedition charges against so many people i also wanted your thoughts on what do you think how do you think sedition is being used is it being misused just your thoughts on that sedition obviously being uh, has been on the rise i mean we are also looking at the fact that yes at one point there were massive number thousands of sedition cases filed against kudankulam protesters um during jalalita's time and so on but now i mean we've gone from an age where it has become so easy to be anti national i mean gone are the glory days of uh, you know trial by hunger strike or uh, actually attempting to uh, you know destabilize india's economy by 2 to 3% um but now i mean all that you need to do is is um, order a bus burger on swiggy um or um shout a slogan that you never really did um to invite um a sedition case and um it symbolizes and it um the use of 
laws like the sedition law as well as looking at sanctions uh, to prosecute in different parts of the country. Now that sedition is just being dropped as a buzzword um, wherever it's it's convenient and especially in university spaces to curb dissent. Yes, I think I agree with her that it is definitely used as a tool of just throwing about and putting people in positions out of which they really have to have a hard time explaining, you know, to do to get themselves out of it. I mean, if you file a sedition charge against someone and they happen to be Muslims, that person is in a spot. I mean, the whole point, they have to prove their innocence. They're on trial in public or in court or anywhere. But what I also saw it earlier is this sedition charges come from a deep well of distrust and suspicion between, I mean, I hate to say it, but these Hindu and Muslim students, not the usual students of the university, but these political members of the student union as well as the people. And for example, the guy who was protesting against OVC's entry ran for the president's position in 2017 of the student union. He came second, he lost by a good margin. So I could tell that there is a sort of, you know, uh, guilt and a shame of losing that election and trying to come back and, you know, put AMUSU in a spot. But you could tell that both of these sides felt that they are the other side is out to get them. So rather than mistrust because of, let's say, being being a Hindu or a Muslim, it is more of a distrust with a differing political ideology. Yeah, and right. which, which also comes down to being having a distrust in the identity itself. So definitely there is a politics of distrust and ideologies. The students hate Hindutva, then these, these BJP people hate the fact that they, you know, are a minority institution which have a Jinnah portrait hanging in their galleries. But that touches on the very raw fault line of, I mean, the way politics carries out in this country since the last 70 years. Communal, communalism is a commonplace phenomenon. It exists even wherever you go in Delhi or in Aligarh. I mean, since we were talking about sedition, let me play the devil's advocate here, given that all of us are on the same ground. But I mean, I want to ask if there's someone raising Pakistan's Zindabad has slogans, like, why are they not anti-nationals? I mean... Um. Please, Aruna, please. I, I mean, as yes, my organization was threatened with a, I mean, was slapped with a sedition charge. By, I used to work with Amnesty International and there was um, an event that was held to bring Kashmiri uh, mothers um, and have a dialogue um, with people in uh, Bangalore in terms of what the conflict is and what it has cost them in terms of a toll. And again, this was barged into um, by right-wing groups, um, causing a fracas then on the charges that people had um, shouted Azadi, um, which is now, I mean, of course, a lead hip-hop track in Gully Boy. Um, that on the basis of that, that that was uh, a reason to file a sedition charge versus um, the organization, which was let off um, only recently. Um, and in that time, having to have the organization, I mean, uh, the, our offices were um, under lockdown. We would have like motorcycle marches going past and people trying to storm the gates with uh, petrol. Um, and while we were sitting right in there, um, what is and seeing these extremely easily fanned uh, spirits um, when it comes to what slogan shouting, um, when it comes to um, basically like uh, trying to shut down all dialogue uh, with ideologies that we disagree with, or essentially uh, heightened communalism and nationalism, which is incredibly misplaced, um, without counting for. Um, 
all if the violations that occur within our margins um no i mean what i'm trying to get to is given that we are in such a vulnerable position given that passions are so easily inflamed then if there's someone raising slogans which we know will inflame or evoke such emotions even more is it really wrong to say or is it really wrong to charge them i mean simply going by the laws there is no such things said about emotions i mean emotions can be the whole point of having i mean liberalism as an ideology of our times is that emotions always play a second fiddle to facts and you know a rule of law that has been put into place so the law says that it is only when a person can be shown to have been conspiring or actively engaged in bringing down the indian state can sedition come into place now sloganeering depends if it's three people standing in the middle of a street shouting pakistan zindabad that doesn't bring down the indian state that is a highly inflammable highly offensive thing to say i give you that but that comes under people's right to free expression and if you push me into it i'll say i'm an absolutist in that way but it's not sedition three people as kunal kamra says they probably have canteen mein udhari hai unki they can't bring down the indian state but if you show that there are mob of people trying to attack the ministry of external affairs and they have ak47 and they are shouting pakistan zindabad that is sedition i mean i absolutely agree sedition if applied should be applied very sparingly and should be applied in context and if three people shouting slogans can bring down the indian state then it just raises questions about the strength of the indian state yeah and as we know that's a lot of strength in the indian state they wouldn't uh, fall to their knees in front of three students uh but yeah, i i also think that it's important to 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 think about how are these flames being fanned and that raises like key questions about the times that we are in at this point um and when it comes to even more i mean charging up atmospheres even more or um you know taking advantage or pushing false lines um there's always instigation to to also look at um and i think it's it's crucial at a time where we are seeing um so many cases being filed um on mass at a at the drop of a hat um against activists um against anybody who is um who is expressing a dissenting opinion absolutely so coming back to the point that ayush made should be used sparingly and should be used in context but uh, with that thank you so much for joining us aruna thanks a lot chavi thank you thank you aruna okay awesome now let's go to uh, pratik to talk about the long march what really happened on the ground and what has the government agreed to and will they actually follow through their promises hi pratik thank you for joining us hi cherry ayush is also here hi pratik ayush hi kya hal hai all good सो प्रतीक लेट्स जस्ट आपसे हमें आपकी रिपोर्ट के बारे में बात करनी थी आप मुंबई नाका पे थे जब किसानों की इतनी बड़ी रैली करीबन पचास हजार किसानों की रैली वहां से शुरू हुई प्रोटेस्ट वहां से शुरू हुई एंड इट वाज मूविंग टुवर्ड्स मुंबई आप उनके साथ दो दिन थे सो कुड यू टेल अस वॉट वॉज द रीजन बिहाइंड दिस मार्च दिस इज अ सेकेंड मार्च कमिंग आउट इन लेस देन अयर उनके क्या डिमांड्स थे एंड वॉट हैज द गवर्नमेंट प्रोमिस्ड एंड यू सी द गवर्नमेंट फॉलोइंग थ्रू जी जी एक्चुअली जब ये लास्ट ईयर ये मार्च निकाला था तो तब गवर्नमेंट ने उनके जो डिमांड्स थे कुछ पंद्रह एक डिमांड किए थे उन्होंने तो उस वक्त बोल दिया था कि ये आपकी सारी मांगे पूरी कर दी जाएंगी ठीक है 
बट इसको लेके एक साल होता रहा और गवर्नमेंट ने कुछ एक्शन लिया नहीं उसमें जिसमें इनकी जो प्राइमरी जिस, मतलब जो जितने वहां पे जो बेसिकली किसानों से ज्यादा ये आदिवासी इसमें ज्यादा थे और मतलब लेबर से लैंडलेस लेबर हैं वो लोग और उनकी जो जमीन है मतलब वो उनको ट्राइबल पट्टा में जो फॉरेस्ट राइट एक्ट के अकॉर्डिंगली मतलब वो सदियों से उस जमीन की वो खेती करते आ रहे हैं मतलब बहुत कम इलाके मतलब जमीन है ये किसी की एक एकड़ है दो एकड़ है तीन एकड़ है तो इसको लेके मतलब जो प्राइमरी इनका वो था जो पिछली बार बोला था कि भाई ये जमीन इनको इनके नाम पे कर दी जाएगी तो ये एक मेन मुद्दा था इसका और इसके साथ में और भी बहुत सारे मुद्दे थे जैसे कि पानी को लेके किसानों की कर्ज माफी को लेके ठीक है ना उसमें से एक मुद्दा ये भी था कि जो किसान जो नासिक का जो जो पश्चिमी इलाका है वहां पे बहुत बारिश होती है लेकिन वो पानी बह जाता है कुछ तीन चार नदियां उनके थ्रू गुजरात में चले जाता है वहां से अरिवेंसी में चले जाता है तो वहां पे कुछ एक डैम बनने का चल रहा है महाराष्ट्र और गुजरात गवर्नमेंट के बीच में तो यहाँ वहां के किसानों को मतलब इन लोग को लग रहा था कि वो बजाय वहां पे वो सीधा पानी गुजरात में डाइवर्ट किया जा रहा है तो ये एक ये भी एक उनका मुद्दा था तो पिछली बार जो ये सब जो उन्होंने आंदोलन किया था मार्च किया था तो कुछ उनकी बातें मांगी मानी नहीं इसलिए इन लोगों ने इस साल ये वापस से ये मार्च रखा गया तो मतलब जनरली छह दिन लगते हैं बम्बई पहुंचने में तो लेकिन गवर्नमेंट को जब इन्होंने ये अनाउंस किया था चार फरवरी को इस मार्च के बारे में तो उसके बाद तीन बार इनकी दो बार पहले मुलाकात हुई ग्यारह फरवरी को और सत्रह फरवरी को चीफ मिनिस्टर देवेंद्र फडनवीस और एआईकेएस मतलब ऑल इंडिया किसान सभा जो सीपीएम फैक्शन है उसके रिप्रेजेंटेटिव और उनके बीच में ठीक है उसके बाद फिर बीस तारीख को ये मार्च निकलने वाला था तो बीस तारीख को चार बजे से निकलने वाला था तो वहां पे काफी तादाद में कितना आ गए आए हुए थे जितने आदिवासी ये जो थे अलग अलग अधिकतर ये लोग पालघर ये थाने का जो इलाका है इसके आसपास के लोग बहुत थे हमसे गलती हुई है और अब ये पूरा करेंगे इसको करेंगे और लिखित में पूरा वो मैं बताते जैसे की जब ये हुआ तो वो मीटिंग के दौरान ये हुआ लेकिन बीस फरवरी को जब मार्च निकलने वाला था तो बहुत जगह तो ये जो जब ये जो लोग आने वाले थे उसमें जो किसान जुड़ने वाले थे उनको उन्हीं के इलाकों में रोक दिया गया था ठीक है ना तो लेकिन फिर भी काफी लोग आए बहुत सारे लोग आए थे तो काफी जगह लेकिन रोका भी गया उन लोग को so तो उसके बाद was... जब शाम को ये मार्च उस दिन उसके निकला एक तो लेट हो गया था दूसरा फिर वो जो जो बीजेपी के कैबिनेट मतलब हमारा स्टेट में जो कैबिनेट मिनिस्टर है गिरीश महाजन वो फिर वहां पे बात करने के लिए आए थे एआईकेएस के ऑफिस के साथ जिसमें उनकी ढाई घंटा मीटिंग चली पूरी और उसमें यही चल रहा था कि भाई ये मार्च आगे बढ़ेगा कि नहीं बढ़ेगा क्या होगा तो उस मीटिंग में ये उन्होंने बोला कि मार्च आप हमारा चलेगा लेकिन आप हमको रिटर्न में कुछ दीजिए तब जाके ये मार्च रुकेगा ठीक है ना हाँ तो फिर वो वहां अगले दिन उसकी शुरुआत हुई और जो पुलिस का था तो पुलिस ने उनको परमिशन डिनाई कर दी थी पहले से बोला था कि आप ये पब्लिक डेमोस्ट्रेशन कर लो यहाँ मैदान में लेकिन आपको मार्च करना अलाउड नहीं करेंगे नासिक से बॉम्बे क्यों तो उस वक्त भी जो किया पता नहीं उनके जो भी मतलब मे बी गवर्नमेंट नहीं चाहती हो कि भाई मुंबई तक ये मार्च जाए बट उन्होंने पहले वो पहले परमिशन मना कर दी थी कि मार्च का परमिशन नहीं रहेगा आपको आप डेमोन्स्ट्रेशन करिए इधर लेकिन फिर भी अगले दिन जब वो मार्च निकला हाँ ये भी पूछना था आपसे की Do you see these protests having any impact on the Maharashtra electorate? अभी देखिए ये ये जो प्रोटेस्ट था इसको मतलब गवर्नमेंट के अगर आप राजनीतिक हिसाब से तो गवर्नमेंट के लिए बहुत जरूरी था इसको रोकना क्योंकि ये बहुत भारी पड़ता है उनको अभी इलेक्शन आने वाले हैं ठीक है और फार्मर्स अगर 
अरे ये आ, मतलब एक पर्टिकुलर किसान ये किसानों का मार्च था तो इससे बहुत ज्यादा जैसे कि फॉर एग्जाम्पल दूसरी पॉलिटिकल पार्टीज हैं वो भी इसके बारे में जैसे छगन भुजबल वहां पे मतलब जो मार्च चल रहा था तो वो भी मार्च में आया उन्होंने कुछ फार्मर्स को एड्रेस किया उनके साथ थोड़ी दूर चले भी तो बाकी पॉलिटिकल पार्टीज भी उसका फायदा उठा रहे तो पॉलिटिक्स के हिसाब से अगर सोचा जाए कमिंग इलेक्शन जो इलेक्शन आने वाले हैं उस साथ सोचा जाए तो बहुत जरूरी था गवर्नमेंट को उसको हैंडल करना अदरवाइज वो नहीं कर पाते और इसीलिए उन्होंने उनकी मांगे सारी मान भी ली प्रतीक हाँ सो आई रिमेम्बर वेन आई वॉज इन पुणे लास्ट ईयर वेन द फर्स्ट रैली हैपन टू बॉम्बे द वॉज अ वेरी गुड सक्सेसफुल पी आर कैंपेन इन दैट इवन द अर्बन यूथ एंड द अर्बन क्लासेज दे वॉज अूथ सिंपथी वे फॉर द फार्मर्स एंड कवरेज में भी था इट गॉट अ लॉट ऑफ पॉजिटिव कवरेज बट वी डेंट सी दैट दिस टाइम फॉर दिस पर्टिकुलर रैली सो what do you think is the reason people were was there lack of effort as compared to last year yeah is this time people are just i mean bored it's just like a second anna uh, movement this saal aisa jo jo pr campaign hai jo bhi hai wo basically pehle 6 din ka samay bahut hota hai koi bhi aise movement ko logon ka dhyan aakarshit karne ke liye wo jo pichli baar 6 din ka chala tha to wo bahut bada ye ho gaya tha uske baad se jab wo kisan wahan pahunche the to unke jo paon ke jo photos the वो सबसे ज्यादा वायरल हुए थे उनके पाँव फट गए थे या कट गए थे चलते वक्त तो वो सब तो इसलिए वो आपको ऐसा लग रहा है कि वो इतने बड़े स्केल पे हुआ बट इस साल भी उनका मतलब पिछले बार इतना मीडिया नहीं था इनिशियली बात बात में धीरे धीरे कर करके बड़ा है वो सोशल मीडिया पे ज्यादा हुआ बट इस बार मतलब ऑलमोस्ट हर अखबार हर चैनल ने उसको कवर किया है थोड़ा बहुत जैसा भी वो कर सकते थे तो आप कह रहे हैं इस बार का मीडिया कवरेज इस मार्च का ज्यादा बेहतर था पिछले साल के कंपैरिजन में। हाँ मतलब इस बार मीडिया बहुत आया था उधर ऐसी बात नहीं है जो पिछले साल मतलब इनिशियली इतना कुछ पता नहीं था किसी के बारे में और किसी को बहुत लोग को तो ए आई के इसके बारे में भी नहीं पता है किसान तो बहुत परेशान है अगर वो अब वो कोई भी पोलिटिकल पार्टी उसका फायदा उठाना चाहती है तो वो तो उठाएंगे बट जो ए आई केस उनको इकट्ठा करके अगर लेके आई है और अगर उनके हक की बात करती है तो उसमें गलत की बात गलत बात नहीं है सत्तर साल बहत्तर साल की मतलब महिलाएं चल चल के आ रही हैं वहाँ पे तो मजाक की बात नहीं है मतलब बहुत बुजुर्ग दो ओवर चल रहे हैं अगर वो पच्चीस मतलब वो सोच रहे हैं कि एक किलोमीटर चलना है मतलब हमें बहुत सारी लेडीज से मिला था जो अपने गांव से ही वहाँ मुंबई नाके तक चल के आई थी बीस पच्चीस किलोमीटर उसके बाद भी वो बिलोली तक मतलब नासिक डिस्ट्रिक्ट के अंदर ही मुंबई नाके से आगे मार्च वहाँ फाइनल मतलब ये सब जो विड्रॉ कर लिया गया था मार्च वहां तक भी पहले चल थी तो बड़ी बात है वो लोग तो अब उसका वो है कि फायदा उठा रहा है या क्या कर रहा है किसान मार्च एट दिल्म इट शोज दैट there is real distress so as pratik said if anyone comes out any political party even if the rss's uh, uh, farmer branch uh, movement bharatiya kisan sangh ha even if rss ka uh, mukti morcha came out they would stick to that but the fundamental point here is that there is real farmer distress and here is one part party the left that is which carries communist flags which is taking care of it rather take care of it as in taking electoral uh, 
और दूसरी बात क्या है जिस एरिया से वो जो जहाँ से आए किसान आए थे एक सुरगनगर के एरिया है नासिक का तो वहाँ पे पिछले चालीस साल से सीपीएम का ही एमएलए है ठीक है तो ये चीजें भी थोड़ा मैटर करती हैं जैसे कि आप और और आप ये जो किसान देखेंगे तो वो जो जैसे जो बुजुर्ग महिला थी या जो इतने बुजुर्ग लोग आए थे उनको उन्होंने वहाँ सीपीएम के बिल्ले ही बांटे जा रहे थे इसमें मार्क्स का लेनिन वगैरह के मतलब फोटोज लगे हुए लेकिन अगर आप उनसे पूछोगे तो उनको नहीं पता लेनिन कौन है या मार्क्स कौन है उनको उससे मतलब नहीं है उनका जो वो वो आदिवासी है और उनको जो उनकी जो परेशानियां हैं वो इसलिए उस मार्क्स में आए थे तो वो उनका पोलिटिकल मतलब मे बी वो सीपीएम उसका फायदा उठाए उठा भी रहा होगा बट अगर उनकी बात करो सामने लेके आ रहा तो उसमें गलत बात नहीं है ठीक ठीक है थैंक यू सो मच फॉर ज्वाइनिंग एस प्रतीक ठीक है So I mean just to conclude what you guys are saying means that it's not actually quote unquote propaganda because propaganda is defined as information specially biased or misleading here we are not talking about misleading information we are talking about actual distress so even though it might be an initiative by the left it's not propaganda is what you guys are saying yeah i mean i i don't know if that actually is the definition of propaganda but definitely even if it's propaganda the point that it's touching upon distress and actually making people come out that should be the focus of the whole discussion not the fact that who's leading it or who's Correct. not uh we also had a discussion about farmers march when it was coming to delhi in one of our earlier episodes so guys you can check out our previous podcasts Uh, on our website or if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes Stitcher SoundCloud or any other podcast app you can check out our stuff on our website and we do a lot of cool stuff so please do check them out so that's a wrap for the episode Ayush do you want to share your recommendation right so since we discussed AMU today and since we started off with the news of the uh, Indian army carrying out Indian air force carrying out attacks in Pakistan hmm. i think there's a connection and while i was doing my research for AMU i found out that before 1947 there was actually a huge movement led by students of AMU uh, to support the muslim league in their request to make pakistan so i think uh, there's a book called creating new medina state power islam and the conquest for pakistan in late colonial north india by venkat dholipala which is a great resource on how which shows I mean, touches upon AMU's history and its participation in the Pakistan movement. And you've read it? Yes. Page to page. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. My recommendation is a piece by Scroll. Uh, the headline is Five Reasons Why Claims by Forest Dwellers for Their Land Are Low and Rejections Are High. I definitely think you should read it, given that the number of tribals and forest dwellers that are going to be impacted given the Supreme Court's order. So that's a wrap. for the episode thank you everyone who is listening to us and we've been getting a lot of mails some people say we have become a left echo chamber i used to you agree yes with uh, with before me definitely was a left echo chamber oh wow i don't think that's true because no no, no. i absolutely no, i i mean given today's discussion who would say it's a left echo chamber i mean we I really, we had some really good disagreements over things and i think that is really important and if our audiences are feeling that way i think we should work towards it nevertheless yes we should i mean they're right in the fact that we definitely lack 
people on this podcast as guests who can give us center right perspective but then as you can attest to when we invite them they don't show up so they the listeners have to understand our perspective on that i mean i think we'll probably put in more effort to get differing perspectives we must we must yeah which i think we have been doing but uh, thank you everyone for writing uh, we love your feedback we discuss it and uh, if you want to send us your thoughts you can tweet to any of us you can leave it on my timeline or ayush's timeline for that matter or write to us at contact at newslaundry or to me at cherry at newslaundry.com also please do remember to pay to keep news free azad and independent so you can do that by subscribing to news laundry visit our website newslaundry.com and you can subscribe from there happy subscribing and big thank you to parikshit and anilji for recording and ayush for your thoughts thank, thank you ayush. all the news laundry podcasts are available on stitcher itunes and any other podcast platform please subscribe to news laundry help us keep news independent catch all our podcasts on news pop culture current affairs and sport visit newslaundry.com follow us on facebook twitter and instagram and subscribe to our youtube channel